So one time I stopped the meeting and I said, so team, uh, you know now, and you didn't know before, but you know now we're going to lose $17 billion. Is there anything like one or two things are not going well? You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Peter Drucker, leadership is defined by results, not attributes. My guest today, Alan Mulally, is one of the most effective leaders of his generation, He's the former president and CEO of Ford Motor Company, where he led the company through an existential crisis and back to profitability. He was also the CEO of the commercial airlines division at Boeing, where he led the development of the Boeing 777, the most profitable aircraft in the company's history. Alan, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the Elevate podcast. Well, it's great to be with you, Bob. So we'll we'll talk a lot about uh, your career, but uh, I always find it interesting to start with the backstory. So what did you study in school and what was your first real job? <laughs> well, very, very good. That is starting at the beginning. Uh, so uh, I grew up in the, in the Midwest in Kansas and actually in Lawrence where the University of Kansas is. And I always I loved uh, math and physics and art. And I especially liked uh, working together with people to accomplish uh, meaningful things. And so I started out early. We came from pretty modest means. And so I had a, a TV guide route, a paper route. I worked at the Dillon's grocery store as a bagger, as a checker. I uh, worked in construction. I worked on the ranch. I worked on the farm. That was a lot of jobs. Yeah. And so I did, just had a lot of, lot of jobs. And I was very uh, fortunate to, to be able to earn enough money that I could go to the University of Kansas. And that's where I, I fell in love with uh with uh, aerospace and, and commercial airplanes. And so did you go right into Boeing after, after school? I did. I, when I graduated, I, my um, advisor uh, in graduate school was a fellow named Dr. Roscom, and he was a senior leader at Boeing in aerodynamics. And he introduced me to Boeing and actually took me from Kansas to Seattle. That's the longest trip I think I'd ever made at that time. And I met all these fantastic uh, engineers, and he showed me around and introduced me to everybody. And that's where I learned about the Boeing's vision of making uh, the best airplanes in the world and, and uh, delivering safe and efficient transportation to get people together around the world. And of course, that meant a lot to me because growing up with the University of Kansas, we had lots of uh, students from around the world. And my parents would always invite them over for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I get to meet all of these unique people. And I couldn't get enough of what I could learn from them. And then to go to Boeing and then get a chance to get people together around the world was like my dream of uh, of doing that. Because I knew that if you get people together and I get to know each other, then we can choose to work together for the greater good. So I know and it wasn't really a mailroom to executive suite story, but it really was an incredible ascension. So what what do you think were some of the key things that allowed you to work your way up to the highest leadership at Boeing? And what, what, what also did you learn along that journey? Well, uh, you know, clearly I'll always uh, treasure uh, my education uh, at the University of Kansas and also at uh, MIT in uh, aeronautical and astronautical engineering. And I was very fortunate, Bob, to have uh, Dr. Roscom as my thesis advisor 
because he was very uh, not only uh, intellectually very capable, but but also knew how to work together, and he knew what that meant in a company like Boeing, where you're you're creating a new airplane that has four million parts and flies halfway around the world. And so uh, that was, as he pointed out, he said that 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 education probably got me off to the best start I could have ever had at, at Boeing, because it was not only terrific educationally, but also I learned about working together early in college. So I had a great education. I loved uh, talented people uh, working together. And of course, at that time, when you we shared our office as an engineer, you shared your office with like 300 other people. And you had, you had a phone where six of you could rotate the phone around. So I get to be really close to these talented people, listen to them, learn from them, not only engineering, but their, their uh, private lives and their financial situations and stuff like that. And so I just loved doing that. And I loved knowing what the vision was for the for the airplane, what the strategy was for achieving it, and then uh, participating with all these talented people to uh, to deliver, create and deliver the airplanes on schedule. So I'm a little bit of an airplane buff, and I probably know more about these things that, than most people realize. But you know, the Boeing 777 was the first twin-engine long-range plane, right? Up until that point, every large dual-aisle plane uh, was was four engines. And this, so this was a huge... You know, jump forward again. Four million parts. Like, how do you, how do you go about setting a vision for something like that, like the BHAG, and and then actually making sure that that happens? Because I, you know, airplanes seem to be like home projects. They're they tend to be thirty percent, you know, over budget and thirty percent late. Um, but this, I think, this project really was as close to on time and on budget, and for for something that was fundamentally new as a new airplane launch has has ever been. Well, uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, one additional thought to add to what you uh, described is the 767 before the 777 uh, oh, was right, a long yes. range uh, twin yeah. also. And that gave us a lot of confidence from a technology point of view. Got it. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It was a much smaller, smaller uh, airplane. Yeah. And the 777 yeah. could fly halfway around the world. So yeah. clearly. It was, so it was, a, it was a range plus size on, on two engines. And, and reliability and quality. Un- yeah. Unbelievable when you're flying halfway around the world. So the most important thing on large scale systems integration and innovation is that everybody comes together around a compelling vision uh, for the product. And that, and just using your airplane example, so is it going to be long range? Is it going to be short range? Is it going to fly polar routes? Is it going to go point to point nonstop? Uh, so what's the vision of the airplane? And then also, what's the uh, comprehensive strategy for achieving it? And people think mainly of it technically, but also that includes the people strategy. How are you going to work together strategy? The partnership strategy with everybody? Because 70% of the dollar value of an airplane as well as an automobile is with all the suppliers around the world. And so what's the strategy for including everybody and working together? And also then the technical strategy itself on aerodynamics and structure and, and flight management systems and avionics and stuff. And, and then what's the strategy uh, for validating the airplane, both uh, before you fly it, then after you fly it? And then what's the strategy for including all the airlines in the process so that they you know we're including all their great ideas, but a lot, lot of stakeholders in building. A lot yeah. of stakeholders. And so that strategy is really important. And then the, the one that gets the most attention besides the, the vision and the strategy is the relentless implementation. And you covered this a couple of times in your neat uh, Friday. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little later. Okay, that, that is really a, a great piece of work because you just have to have this phenomenal discipline 
uh, both from the operating process, but also on the expected behaviors on how we're all going to treat each other. Yeah. Because we all need to know what the plan is. We also need to know what the status of the plan is, because this is an invention and we have to expect the unexpected and expect to deal with it. Yeah. So having this transparent, out in the open, uh, inclusive. When you have four million parts and this many people, it is nothing is going to go right all the time. Exactly. And you want to expect that because you're creating something right. out of, of nothing, which is phenomenal. So that's where the business plan review came from, where you review the, everything about the strategy and the plan. You color code it, which you uh, you captured also in your article. And then wh what you're doing then is you're creating this culture where everybody is expecting the unexpected and they're expecting to deal with it by helping each other turn the reds to yellows to greens. So you can imagine how much fun that is. So every week you're meeting and everybody's they, no one ever misses a meeting because they want to see what, what colors change and how they can help each other turn everything to a green and deliver this fantastic airplane. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. I've tried Babbel. It's fun, it's interactive, and in just a few minutes a day, I could see that it was making a difference and helping my comprehension and retention. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com elevate. Get 55% off at babbel.com elevate, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash elevate. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, you've used the term working together a few times. I, I know this was a, a management system that you developed at, at Boeing and, and in the development of the 777. Like, how would you describe the big principles of that system? Well, that's, that's just a, a wonderful question. I'd love to share it with you. It kind of starts where you started on, on the way I grew up, is I always loved uh, working together with talented people and uh, and accomplishing things that, that were important for all of us. And so that's what I brought to Boeing in addition to my technical uh, education and skills. And so here I joined Boeing 
probably the finest uh, program project management company in the world that does these most sophisticated products in the world uh, and delivers all the expectations on, on schedule. And so what I really ended up bringing was to move from what was a number of years ago, as you all know, and still is a lot of command and control cultures to a culture where everybody was included. Everyone was appreciated. And, and, you know, one of the expressions that I would say is we love them up. We love up. We love all the participants that we're really clear about the, the process. We're really clear about the behaviors, but combining my, who I was as a person with this unbelievable talented company that knew how to, with discipline, create things on schedule, then that's where the working together came from. And the work and the main elements of it then are one, are you really clear about the principles and practices that you're gonna follow, including the operating process, the meetings that you're gonna have? Are you together on creating the value roadmap to create this product that is based on, on a product that provides value to people that they value it and they wanna pay for it? And then the second thing is uh, your governance process, the meetings you're gonna have, like the business plan review every week and uh, the meetings with the board of directors, the meetings with the customers. And that's very disciplined. Uh, over and over again, each week, each month, each quarter. Then the next one is the leadership team, starting with the leader. And this is a newsflash. The leadership team is really, really important. And, and the reason that's true is that uh, we are actually designing the culture. It's a culture by design where everybody knows the process. They know the meetings. They know the decision-making uh, process. And they also know the expected behaviors, how they're going to treat each other and how we expect each uh, to be treated. So that leadership team is really important. The inclusion of all the stakeholders, as you mentioned, uh, leading with humility, love, and service, and then holding ourselves accountable. Most important thing we do, starting with me, is hold ourselves accountable for following this process religiously. And then, of course, the Creating Value Roadmap is where we put together all the elements of the strategy to achieve it. And then the last one, which is absolutely fun, is every week, the business plan review, where two hours... We have everybody connected around the world and we review together with the entire team, starting with me, the vision, the strategy and plan. And then every member of the team reviews their organization, whether it's engineering, manufacturing, procurement, uh, HR, uh, legal. They review with the entire team their contribution to the strategy and also their plan for delivering that uh, strategy. And then the status. And they actually color code their own charts. You can't have handlers. You can't have outside people. You have to know and be able to share what the status is so that uh, everybody knows the, the uh, greens, but they also know the yellows and the reds that, so we can work on the yellows and reds and turn them to, to green. So those are the five main elements of the working together. But you can see that it's that discipline and everybody knowing the plan and everybody participating and following these behaviors with zero tolerance zero tolerance, Bob, for violating the process or violating the behaviors. Yeah. So, well, there's like 10 questions I want to ask. So let's, <laughs> I can imagine. I'll go back to, so what does people first mean to you in the context of this? Because I know we, we hear that phrase a lot and, and I think there's some confusion and that'll lead, that'll lead to another question I want to ask. Well, let me, let me have sure. you answer that first. Okay. Well, people first means people first. And what I mean by that is that when we're creating a, a, a new commercial airplane and we have we can have between 500 and 600,000 
people working on it around the world, all the people at Boeing, but also all the people with all the suppliers. And so you can imagine if you're going to create a product with 4 million parts, with the quality and the fuel efficiency and the safety and the systems engineering, that it's just so important that everybody knows what that strategy is. They know what the plan is. They know the status against the plan and they're working together. And so think of all of that, those talented people that are dedicating their life to creating a cathedral that's bigger than an airplane. This is something that's going to get people together around the world. And so uh, it really is about people first and loving them up, like thanking them, appreciating them. And the most important thing about respecting them is sharing with them what the real situation is, not just the airplane status, but what's the schedule status, what's the financial status. So, And that's the best and most important thing you can do to show your respect for all the participants. So it really is all about the people. And so loving them up and, and enjoying them, enjoying the journey and enjoying them. And one, one caveat about that, about loving them up is we never have a joke ever, Bob, at anybody's expense. And the reason is, as you and I and everybody else knows, they're never funny. It's never funny. And people will go along to get along. But what's, what's really damaging to working together is if they don't feel comfortable and safe where they can share what the real situation is and not be the, the brunt of a joke, no matter what, how it's done, is they're, they're going to be very hesitant and resident to share what the real situation is. And now you've gone at the heart of the working together because that is the thing that makes it work is they know it's safe. We're here to help each other. We're going to expect the unexpected, but never a joke at anybody else's expense. Well, let me now ask you where, because I heard you say some things that could sound in conflict, but I know they're not, but loving them up and supporting the people. But you also said, look, there's zero tolerance for going outside of these rules and norms. And so, so what happens when people in these teams violate those values repeatedly or processes and, or they just can't, do what needs to be done. They come every week and it's red and it's red and it's red. I think this is where this misnotion of people first and that, you know, you just, you never deal with these things or it doesn't mean that there aren't difficult conversations with, with people sure. along the way. Well, it's really neat the way you ask that question uh, because you're getting at the heart of the answer. And that is when I say zero tolerance, that starts with me and the leadership team. And so I'll just use a, a very specific example. So I'm in, the, I'm in the business plan review meeting every week, three hours long. Everybody's connected all around the world. I start out the meeting. I go through a summary of the, of the vision and strategy and the plan and the areas need special attention. Then each of the leaders does the same thing with their, their contribution. And so everybody has, <laughs> everybody has a card that says one forward on one side and has the fundamental strategy for example, of, of making the best products in the world, a complete family, quality, fuel efficiency, safety, matching our production to the real demand, and then working together as one team around the world. And on the back side of the card, Bob, are the behaviors. So you have the business plan on the front end, behaviors on the and everybody has the card. They carry it around on their body. They're up on the walls, uh, and they have words like uh, propose a plan, find a way, uh, respect each other, listen to each other, help each other, appreciate each other. Very complicated words, right? But all things that you can see, everybody can see, and they know exactly what it means. Emotional resilience, trust the process of working together, clear performance goals, uh, one plan, facts and data. We love you. We, we love your opinions. We want to see what the data is you're looking at. 
you've seen the uh, in God we trust, all others must bring data. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that is a kind of funny thing about the facts and data. Once got a note from somebody that said, "You're this is uh, too religious. And I said, why is that? He said, well, the Bible says that truth will set you free. And I said, this is the facts of data will set us free. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, everybody knows those behaviors. They know the process. So a couple of times early on, uh, I'll just use Ford, when I went to Ford, one of the senior members of the team started to go after one of the other members of the team very aggressively. And they knew a lot about the subject and they were kind of uh, just want to demonstrate how smart they were. So that happened a couple of times and I followed them up to their office after the meeting and, and we got out the car and, and we went over of the front and the back of it and the behaviors. And I said, so what do you think and about the meeting this morning and, and your behavior? And he said, oh, I know, I know uh, I, I wasn't as supportive as I could be. And I should have asked a question for clarification first, but uh, I, I just, i that's the way I've grown up. That's the, I've learned how to lead that way. And I said, well, remember why we've agreed to these behaviors. And that is that it's a very competitive world. We need the best and brightest. We need their hearts and minds. And this is the environment that we need to uh, do what we do to create value for all the stakeholders and the greater good. And, and then he said, uh, well, I, I understand, but I, I don't know whether, whether I can change. I, you've, I've um, a lot of value to the company uh, that promoted me um, and I don't know whether I, I can change. And I said, I said, Bob, well, uh, that's okay. I understand. And he looked at me and I knew what he was thinking, Bob. It was like, Oh, you mean I'm so important and I'm so needed that I don't need to follow these behaviors. You, you meant the opposite. And, and exactly. <laughs> yeah. and I, said, I said, well, uh, not quite nice knowing you. Not, not quite. <laughs> let me let me tell you about what okay means. Okay means that uh, you're deciding to go ahead and choose to leave because this doesn't work for you, and it really is okay. And I even said to him, and I still love you up. Remember that first principle? I still love you up as a human being, but you're deciding to move on, and I think you're going to be happier. I know that the team's going to be happier, and I'm going to be happier, and I'm, and also by the way. I want you to think about it tonight and I want you to come back tomorrow and tell me what you're going to do. Cause if you would like to move in this direction, we can get you a coach and we'll help you as a team. And I think you'd really enjoy being in the light and getting away from the, these behaviors that are, that are not very uh, useful. And I want you to come back and tell me uh, because, uh, and when you tell me, you're also going to uh, say to the whole team that you're going to move in a different direction with your behaviors and we'll help you with it. And he came back the next day and he said, I, I really thought about it and I, I just don't think I can do it. And I said, it's okay. And I, re I wish you the best. I wish you the best going forward. And he, he left. And that happened a few times, not too many times, because these behaviors that we're talking about, it feels so good to be on a team. And you know this, yeah. where you feel this way and you're appreciated and you're loved and, and you're working the tough issues together and you're not alone. Now, I've also had that same conversation where they went home, they came back and they said, you know, I think this really makes sense. And I want to go in this direction. And I said, well, we're going to help you. You're going to share this with the team that you're not. One of them was this one leader, dynamite leader, but just always ask rhetorical questions just to show everybody how smart they were. You can imagine like, yeah. really? I mean, we're, we're sitting there working on these issues. We're not, it's not about you. It's about, 
us working together to turn the reds and yellows to greens. And I said, you don't, so you need to decide what you're going to do. And, and she came back the next day and said, I want to move in this direction. And then she went to the business plan review, the next one, Bob, and said to everybody, I know I've been doing this and I don't need to do it. And I want to be part of the team and I want to follow these behaviors. So I think that's, they're absolutely right. And she turned out to be one of the most phenomenal leaders that I've ever worked with. What was the long-term success rate of people who chose the blue pill? Uh, I'm curious, like, is it, was it 50-50? No, no, it's, it's like over, I'd say 75 or 80%. Okay. And the reason is, and you know this because of your fantastic uh, company too, is that when you feel this way, when you get a chance to be in this environment, uh, you're never going to go back. And people that have moved off to one program or the other or, or from Boeing or Ford, from where we operated this way, uh, and they get in a situation where it's not this way, everyone that I know has moved on to a different place. Because if it's, if it's not that kind of environment, people are, are going to move on. Hi, everyone. If you're not a subscriber to Harvard Business Review, you're missing out on a wealth of leadership content. Widely acknowledged as the leader in business leadership information, Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their incredible podcasts. Premium subscribers can also access a selection of Harvard Business School real-world case studies and scenarios that provide business leaders with the learnings from how business leaders manage their business, their team, and themselves. When I need a source or data that I can trust for one of my articles, HBR is my go-to. Just this week, I referenced one of their articles about the efficacy of required diversity training which had the most data behind it by far. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free, after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at just $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. With everyone fighting for attention these days, how can you get your business to stand out and connect with customers? It's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media postings, and even event management. You'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing that your emails are actually reaching your customers, thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Constant Contact was actually the first email marketing platform I ever used almost 20 years ago, and it's a testament to the product's quality that it's still the standard for email marketing today. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And it's just there's a magical thing of being part of a a great team and you know with the economy what it is today and with the you know tight job market incredible demand it has 
it has definitely fanned the flames of of sort of meism. I will say, I, I was on a panel with a couple of leaders talking about trends in the workplace, you know, for the next year. And I said, you know, I, I just think this theme of flexibility is going to continue to be important. And someone went, and another person went, and they said, people want to work how they want, where they want, and on what they want. And I, I couldn't leave that alone. <laughs> I came back, and I was like, look. That's nice, but like then they should go start their own business. Like being part of a team requires some sacrifice, and I and I, I get it when it, when a pendulum swings so hard as it's done from sort of company to employee, you know. Right now, and, and people are getting calls every day, and they're being told they're great, and their promotions and raising. Like I I I get that, but I, I think it's a really dangerous thing for the workplace now, where where it's a lot of like, well, well this is I want this because it's good for me, you know. And you say, look, our promotions come out. In two weeks, you know, well, I want mine now. Well, then I do that for you. And then I'm managing a team. And then Dave's a little pissed. And and so I I for those of us who've been part of an incredible team in these shared goals and stuff, you, you understand that. You understand in basketball, you can't have five all-stars well, who all want the ball. But th- this I see this as a real struggle today for people to understand the sacrifice involved in that. Well, it's kind of how do you understand and appreciate uh, what a sacrifice is or not? Yeah. Can you imagine, Bob, imagine how these employees and all the stakeholders that are participating, the investors, the bankers, all of our suppliers, yeah. uh, the airlines around the world, when they put their logo on that airplane, can you imagine the pride and the sense of accomplishment and the satisfaction of, of meaningful contribution to something really important for the good of right. all of us? And so... That individual piece is you're always going to have an individual piece, but your opportunities to work on things that are bigger, that are going to create value for a lot of people and a greater good, that's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice in the holistic sense, but it definitely means at times sacrificing what could be most optimal for yourself, right? And I think that is the that's the trick. I love the quote, there's no uh, hecklers in the show, you know, in terms of bringing people you know, up on the stage. And and I, I see a lot of leaders struggling with what they almost feel like is this just real-time auction with people and talent and saying, here's what I want. Um, and they're like, well, here's what we're trying to do as a team and as a company. And I, it, it's a, I think it's a, I, I'm hearing this from a lot of leaders that this is a real, real struggle right now for them. Well, a lot of, as you know, uh, a lot of leaders uh, are not leading with a compelling vision. Right. And a comprehensive strategy and a relentless implementation plan that's based on inclusion and respect and love of all the participants. And so my experience has been of it over and over again. Every one of those airplane programs, 707-27-37-47-57-67-777, Ford, all those vehicles, they're all major contributions to the greater good. And what I've found is that the clearer you are about that and the more important and meaningful it is, then you're going to get the hearts and minds of everybody. And they're going to really come with a we attitude in addition to me. So you pushed at this, you mentioned it, and I was trying to hold off, but now we're going to dive in uh, to the light story uh, because <laughs> one of my favorite stories. So you, I want to talk a little bit about your time at Ford. So you arrived at Ford in the middle of really an existential company crisis. Um the company, as I read or understand, was on track to lose $17 billion in 2006, yes. which would have been a record for a loss in, in the world. And, and so you start showing up 
to these meetings that already exist or not your version of it, but these weekly progress meetings and they're red light, green light, yellow light. And, and everyone is showing up to these meetings with Alan's green light, green light, green light, green light. And the company is literally losing $16 billion a year. And, and it's very clear that things are not going well. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about walking into this and, and how you changed this behavior and, and, and sort of pulled it into that system we talked about earlier. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. So just uh, to back up just a little bit, I didn't really think that I would ever uh, leave Ford. I was there for, uh, or Boeing, I was there for 37 years and, and had just loved uh, serving on all of the, all the airplane programs. And, and then I got a call from Bill Ford. And I, and I remember thinking, Bill Ford, the great grandson of Henry Ford. And uh, growing up in Kansas, uh, we had a, in Lawrence, we had a Ford dealership. And when my sisters and I started driving, you know, we, every once in a while, we damaged the car and we'd take it in for a dealer and uh, they would always fix it. And sometimes they wouldn't tell our parents. And so we, I had a fondness so, for yeah, Ford. That'll build loyalty. And I loved, I loved that blue oval and I loved the vehicles over the years. And so when Bill called, I just, I just really wanted to under, and as a business uh, person, I really, that lives to make products and services that people want and they value with ever improving quality and fuel efficiency or in uh, productivity. I really wanted to understand what the situation was. And Bill Ford is a phenomenal human being and a, and a great leader. And of course, he's a, uh, a member of the Ford family and that owns uh, Ford. And over all these years, 105 years, it's a fantastic company. And so he shared everything with me, Bob, everything. And the biggest learnings that I got by interviewing him a number of times doing my due diligence was that they uh, had become a house of brands over the years. So they had purchased Aston Martin and Jaguar and Land Rover and Volvo and had an equity position in Mazda, as well as uh, Ford and, and Lincoln. I uh, Mercury. So they really had lost the brand of that blue oval and nearly uh, 75% of the total value of the corporation was still the Ford brand. And so there, you imagine what it was like to try to be world-class at all those different brands at the yeah. same time. Also uh, Ford had become uh, very regionalized around the world. And that was because Henry Ford's vision was to operate Ford in every country in which he sold and supported vehicles. And the reason is that he wanted to be part of the economy. He wanted to provide great jobs and great careers and contribute to uh, economic independence and environmental sustainability. Uh, and what he didn't anticipate was that all those Fords, every company around the world would become an independent company. They had their own uh, product plan, own marketing, their own sales. And were they actually competing with each other? And they're all competing with each other, and and they were competing because they even they had all these different products, but they were also they didn't have the scale to compete with all the global brands as we know them, and so they were a tremendous productivity and cost disadvantage. Also, the agreements that they had with the union didn't allow them to be competitive uh, anywhere around the world, especially in the United States. And it's not a union issue; it's the management of the company and the unions made these agreements together over the years, as we know, and it wasn't competitive anymore. Also, uh, they couldn't match their production to the real demand because of the union agreements. 
So now you can imagine as you went through the economic cycles, you kept the production up, you had to discount the vehicles, and everybody loses even more money. And then the probably the biggest one is because of that um, globalization and lack of operating as one company, uh, there was very little working together. Like when I got the first team together and chose the best, the best leaders I could for each of the functional disciplines, a lot of them didn't really know each other because they were came from all around the world. So they were losing on money on every vehicle and every brand. Famous quote, when we lose on every vehicle, we make up in volume. And, <laughs> and you're right. The first forecast that I saw for profits was a, a $17 billion loss. That's when I asked Bill that. So you're probably wondering, why did I go? Why would I leave Boeing uh, when I was a CEO of commercial airplanes and go to Ford? And the reason is that Ford and Boeing are the arsenal of democracy. They're the reason that we're free and kept the world free during World War II because Ford switched over from making vehicles to making airplanes. And of course, Boeing and Ford were the two biggest uh, suppliers to the to the uh, military. And so I really felt like I was being asked to serve a, a second American and global icon. It was so important for the reasons that we know, not only safe and efficient transportation, but for the economy, uh, for sustainability, for the environment. And so I decided to, to go and I took my work together, principles and practices. And, and also I really believed in Bill. And he, he even said to me when he was recruiting me, if, if, uh, if you need to be the chairman and the CEO, I would give up being the chairman too, because we really, really need you. And I told him, Bob, at that time, uh, Bill, I would only come if I decided to come, I would only come if you stayed as a chairman because you know everything about the business, you know the history, it's your name on the outside of the building, your family is dedicated to this company and doing the right thing. And it's gonna take both of us working together with all the stakeholders to turn this company around when we're looking at $17 billion loss. And I actually regretted, uh, and then I, I was sitting in our, our house in uh, Seattle and I called him on the phone and said, I've decided to stay at Boeing. And, Three of the five kids and my wife were outside and they had been they had been encouraging me to go. They knew everything about all the wonderful airplanes. They knew everything about Boeing and the customers around the world. And they said, we just want to go there and drive a Shelby GT, Dad. Come on, let's go. Let's help, help them out. So they walked in the room and they said, uh, so, so, Dad, we're going to Ford, aren't we? And they could tell in my voice and they know the way I think is that uh, you know, all of us are going to have opportunities and we're going to think about it from this point of view and that point of view and every angle. And then we're going to decide. And my advice when people ask me about these kind of decisions is just after you make the decision, then you're going to share it and then listen to what, is, what you're saying and what do, what do you really, really think about it? And so I, I said to them right there, yep, yep, we're going. So I, I uh, called Bill back and I I said, Bill, I'd love to join you. And off we went. So I arrive. I know now what the situation is. I've studied it. I have my thoughts about how we can simplify this. I focus on the Ford brand. Uh, also, size our production to the real demand. Also, invest simultaneously while we, while we restructure the business to, in all the new products that people want and value with a complete family of vehicles, of cars, utilities, and trucks, small, medium, and large. And then most importantly, 
I think we borrowed $23.5 billion. I called it a small home improvement loan so that we could do all the product development in addition to the restructuring. And then the most important thing was that we were going to work together, all these talented people around the world, all, all the countries around the world. We're going to work together as one team. We're going to call it one Ford. It was going to be one Ford and what with one plan and one objective. And that is to create value, save the company and create value for all the stakeholders, including the greater good. So I, I selected the team, uh, went through all of the principles and practices we talked about, hours and hours, because they wanted to know all about that and what did it mean, those behaviors, and how are the meetings going to work and how are the decisions going to be made and what does it mean to color code things that are that are not going per plan and how are we going to get them back on plan? So that was a really important part of the initial meetings. And then uh, we started the business plan review. Now think about it, Bob, and you know this, that you're in a meeting with your team every week and you're going through the vision, the strategy, and the plan, and the status, you can't escape. And everybody's going to be really clear about what the situation is, but they're also now not just working for the leader. They're working for each other and for the greater good on what you're doing. And so all of a sudden, people's commitment started to really get strong. Now, to your point, they had never color-coded a chart because in most companies still today, if you have a problem, you don't bring it to your supervisor or your leader, let alone the CEO, unless you have a solution. Okay, so it was your it was a chart that you put in, and then they started coming in and telling you everything was great. Absolutely, and they and and of course that was a natural thing for them to do because they explained to me. A couple of them told me on the side that in the past, if they brought an issue uh, to the CEO at that level, then it just seemed that people disappeared because that's just the way most companies still operate today. And so we, we created the culture by design. We started the meetings. People started getting comfortable with each other. They were, uh, they were respecting the behaviors and the principles and the practices. And to your point, we had 300 charts in the business plan review and all 300 were green. And I'm going, oh my gosh, how am I going to break through this? Because they're just scared to death and they don't know what's going to happen. So one time I stopped the meeting and I said, uh, so team, uh, you know now, and you didn't know before, but you know now we're going to lose $17 billion. Is there anything like one or two things that are not going well? <laughs> of course, eye contacts down to the floor. Yeah. And so I did that a couple of times. And, um, thinking, well, we've got to make this breakthrough. We're never going to do what we need to be able to do. And then uh, one of the leaders in North, was running managing North America. Uh, they had a launch of a, of a edge in Oakville, Canada. And they had a situation with the liftgate and the actuator. So they stopped production of the whole plant, uh, which they we said we're going to do because we're only going to deliver the finest quality. And so he was sitting the night before, before the business plan review, Bob, and he's going over this with the team and his chart came up. And we have about 40, 45 launches going around the world at any one time. And every launch chart has a column for uh, technical readiness, one for schedule compliance, another one for financial impact. And it was green, green, and green for this launch. And the program was stopped. And we had all this inventory building up, the whole car sitting around. It was a big deal. So he said, well, you know, I think this is one of those red things Alan's talking about. And one of his senior vice presidents, Bob, said, well, so what? You know, people disappear when you show a red item. We just got to figure out how to fix this first. And he said, no, I think what he means is we need to share it right away 
So we can use the talents of all the people to turn the red to yellows to greens. And then another vice president says, well, good luck to you. Nice knowing you. So so there was a real culture of fear. I mean, you oh, disappeared if you... Well, that's not uh, too abnormal. <laughs> and so uh, he walks in the next day, sits down in the business plan review, uh, goes through the charts, uh, green, 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 and wham, up comes this red chart. Red, red, and red. And I mean, you could hear the oxygen being sucked out of the, out of the room. Uh, so he explains, we have this actuator issue. Uh, we don't have a solution yet. That's why it's a red, not a yellow. And we're working on it. And so I started to clap. And the team told me later, almost every member of the team, Bob, told me later, they said, we knew that was a sign. The two large doors of the Thunderbird room and the world headquarters of the Ford Motor Company in Dearborn, Michigan, were going to open up. Two large human beings are going to come in and extract this the guy away. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, said, I clapped and I said, you know, uh, that is terrific visibility. And I turned to the rest of the team and I said, just uh, initially, uh, any thoughts that you have on what we can do to help uh, in this situation? And three of the members, the head of matter of fact, the head of engineering said, you know, I've seen that issue on such and such. I'll get you that data right away. Uh, the quality leader has said, you know, is we're doing the right thing. And so we're all behind you and we'll get the extra talent there. And the manufacturing leader said, you know, we're going to figure this out. And that's what we do. So we'll get you some manufacturing engineers identified, get them up to Oakville, Canada. When you get a solution, we'll uh, get the parts uh, switched out and we'll get the production going. And so that took maybe eight or nine seconds. And then next green chart, green, 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 green. So the next week, there was only one red chart again. And the way they were looking at me and the way they were looking at Mark, who announced this, was, holy cow, he's still here. And we had this huge red item. What's up? So I noticed that. And so I, I said to Mark on the side, I said, so Mark, um, why don't you sit next to me in the next business plan review meeting? But I forgot to tell him why. And so he, he told me later, he said, well, there, there's where I'm going to get fired in front of everybody to make an example of them because I have a red item. And so I, he was next to me. And now the, the rest of the team is looking at him and he's actually moved closer to the CEO now. So we're like, what's up with that? So a couple of weeks later, he, they had a solution uh, turned to yellow. A couple of weeks after that, turned to green. The vehicle started flowing all around the world. And guess what those 300 charts look like? Above? They look like a rainbow. And they knew now they could trust the process. They felt safe. They knew it was going to help us uh, save uh, Ford and turn Ford around. And so from then on, I knew, I knew no matter what happened to it, whether it was the tsunamis around the world, whether it's GM and Chrysler going into bankruptcy, whether it was, whether it was the United States uh, economic crisis, that we were going to use our working together principles and practices and we we're going to help each other and it was going to, and we were going to be able to not only save Ford, but create an exciting and viable and a profitably growing Ford for all the stakeholders. I mean, and it's an incredible, I mean, you set out what you, you, you accomplished what you set out to do and saved an, you know, an iconic company that seems to be thriving today. Uh, you know, what's interesting too about that, Bob, uh, when you look at the data, uh, we were losing market share tremendously. And uh, also our brand was 
really in disarray. And we went from that situation to increasing the market share with the best lineup of cars and trucks. And we went to the from uh, almost being bankrupt to the number one brand in the United States. And when you look at the uh, at that $23.5 billion loan, we repaid all of that on schedule. And so you can imagine how the bankers felt. And you look at the investors and the intraday low on the Ford stock price was $1.01. And when I left, it had appreciated approximately 1,870%. And because people could see the value of the company and we were profitably growing for the benefit of, of everybody based on these great cars and trucks. And then on a supplier uh, data, we were next to last in the eyes of all of the all of our suppliers around the world on the on the OEM to work with because they knew we were going out of business and we're not treating them fairly and not including them like we should. And when I left, we were had moved up from next to last to number two on all of the young build companies around the world in what they thought of working together with the Ford Market Company. But the the metric that I'm just uh, so in awe of and respect and appreciate so much is the employee, uh, what the employees thought. And when I arrived, the employee uh, satisfaction data from our employee surveys uh, was around uh, 40%, 38% or so positive, which means that over 70% of the people are not enjoying and they don't believe in this company. In, in the way they're being treated and the way the company's doing, how the company's doing. And on, on an engagement point of view, probably considerably less. Now, that's not very far away from the norm around the world, as you know. There are lot, most of them are below, around 50% or below. And so we put measures in for every one of the elements of the business, including the employee satisfaction. And so we started all these things that we just described about, people really appreciated. And when I left, our employee satisfaction had gone from that around that 40% to 91%. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs has the tools to help define the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Any candidate who's looking for a job is going to be on LinkedIn and LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals, and many like myself use it every day, which also makes it the best place to hire. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire, That's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is cool. You don't hear a lot of cultural turnarounds, but if there's data supporting a cultural turnaround, that that would be it. I just... uh... I just know, and you know this because I know I'm a student of your company also, that the culture and the respect for people and the inclusion of people and sharing everything with them, the reds, the yellows, and the greens is the most respectful thing you can do. So now people used to say to me, how do you sleep at night? Like at 
you know, when you're doing these big programs or you're running Boeing or, or you're leading the uh, forward, I said, I sleep really, really well. We just had a business plan review. We know what all the, the reds and yellows and greens are. And those are, those are weekly. And, and these are weekly and we're working on turning the reds, the yellows, the greens. So the most important thing that all of us do is go home, get a good night's sleep and come back the next day with our working together, propose a plan, find a way, positive can-do attitude. So Alan, you've, you've, I mean, two incredible, iconic companies. What keeps you busy now? What are you, what's something you're excited about doing and that, that you're, uh, you're focused on in your time now? Oh, oh thanks for asking. I, I uh, have really enjoyed uh, my board uh, service. And I'm on the, the board of the Mayo Clinic, which arguably is yeah. the finest institution in the world with uh, serious and complex medical care. Just tremendous and unbelievable working together skills with with all the participants. And also, I really enjoyed uh, being on the board of uh, Google and Alphabet because their vision, Larry and Sergey's original vision of of organizing and making available all of information around the world is so compelling. And we all know how we count on Google and the information as part of our our lives. And also, I have a a couple of startup companies that are doing a great uh, ones on this carbon 3d which is the first actual 3d printing company and remember that those four million parts on the triple seven we did yeah. those all digitally we're the first one to define all of the airplane digitally and so now that the parts can live the digital definition can be on the servers around the world you bring them down you make the parts and you can imagine what that means is simplifying the whole world of transportation and logistics and stuff well, it sounds like you're uh, you're keeping busy. So, where where people want to learn more about uh, working together, your work, you where where can they find you uh, out in the in the online world? Well, one of the neat things that you and your team have done that uh, Sarah, my business partner, and I really think is neat. And I, of course, I'm a real student of of your work with the with your fire blogs and also the podcast. And with your podcast, your team explained to us that they want to put in some references for people to yeah. be access the data of this and learn more about what the speaker was sharing. And so we have uh, three or four things that we're going to share with you that capture everything that I've said uh, and more, because my, my dream is, is to support you and getting the messages out. Uh, and there's, there are, are, are really good ways of, of including everybody and creating value for the greater good. So we're going to work with your team to uh, uh, get that list for you. Awesome. Yeah. So we have some, there's some PDFs. Uh, those will be included in the show notes. Um, some excerpts from uh, some of Alan's writing in his book and his chart. And it'll show that whole system on, on working together. There's a lot on that chart. It took a lot of work great. to get that onto one page. Yep. It's great. So we'll be excited to share that. Well, Alan, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've got so much leadership wisdom that I, I learned from, we can all learn from, I'm sure all the listeners learn from. So Really, really glad we got to sit down and talk about uh, some of these experiences with the listeners. Well, and also, Bob, I just want to compliment you on what you've done uh, as an entrepreneur and a founder, and uh, also the, the fact that uh, your succession plan, you got a great uh, CEO and you're moving up to be the founder and, and uh, the chairman of the board, the, and you got a great profitable growth plan. So I think sometime you ought to let me maybe interview you on this podcast. <laughs> The advantage you have is I listen to you speak like getting people to put an air it is Elon Musk to put an airplane in the sky, to put a car on the road. Like it 
it's much harder in, in, in marketing than to have a goal like that. As you're saying that, I'm like, I want to put an airplane in the sky. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I appreciate it. I look forward to, uh, to many more conversations. So you can learn more about episode uh, Alan on the episode page at robertglazer.com. And as he said, he, he, Alan and his co-author provided several resources that will include that I really encourage you to download. Um, and if you've enjoyed today's episode or the Elevated Podcast in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show and the content. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. Hello, Elevate Podcast listeners. I wanted to let you know about my friend Darius and his amazing show, The Greatness Machine. The Greatness Machine is one of the top-ranked educational and business podcasts in the country, recently ranking top five in the entrepreneurial category on iTunes. Here's why I love Darius and The Greatness Machine. It really comes down to a few things. The Greatness Machine has amazing guests from the likes of sports icon Gabby Reese, worldwide news sensation Amanda Knox, FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss, and Tiny Habits expert and author BJ Fogg, to NHL Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, and hundreds more. Darius keeps it real. I always learn something new, and I have a few laughs. And he always also asks great questions, and is a really entertaining and engaging host. The Greatness Machine is where you get to be a fly on the wall and listen to Darius and his amazing group of guests talk about how they got to where they are today and hear stories of people who have lived their passions to create greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. So if you want to be entertained while learning from some of the greatest and most accomplished people in the world, this is definitely a show for you to check out. Subscribe to The Greatness Machine today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.